You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric DeSobe here. Excited to be ret- talking to a returning champion. Jordan Sorrell is here, a 2015 Chicago fellow. He was also an Institute co-director at Chicago. We'll catch up with him. He's been working on the census and so has some updates for us since the last time we chatted. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. All right, Jordan, when we chatted last, you know, we thought the hardest thing we'd have to deal with as it pertains to the census was was the Trump administration. But, you know, we threw in a pandemic to make your life a little harder. How have things been going trying to keep the, the census healthy and alive and people responding to it in these very strange times? Yeah. So, uh, Eric, first, thank you for allowing me to come on today and talk about a very important topic, which is the 2020 census, which so for everybody knows the 2020 census helps with our roads, schools, small businesses, hospitals, emergency response. That's billions of dollars of federal funds each year uh, based on our population count. Uh, and that's once every 10 years. And we were going you know, down the path. So we started in March. People started to receive the uh, notice in the mail about the census and started to complete it. And then COVID-19 hit, which really just shifted the whole landscape of what uh, local, you know, counties, states had to do around the census. And so, you know, we made some significant uh, shifts during that time to make sure that we have a complete and accurate count, which I could talk about in a little bit. And so, man, there's so much to unpack there and how hard it would be to make the census go through when you're not allowed to really move around or, or to be close to people. How did you and your team and just maybe the census folks in general prioritize sorting out all the complexities? Yeah, so that's, that's an excellent question. So what we did was, so in Cook County here in Chicago, Illinois, which is the second largest county in the United States, we've worked with our, our census grantees. So we have about 84 uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, local units of government. And so what we've done is we've, we've partnered, we've had a lot of calls, um, meetings to determine what strategies could they shift? So they couldn't do necessarily the outreach. So going to local community events, passing out materials, going door to door, which is traditionally going happening in the 2010 census, for instance, we had to say, how do we use more uh, traditional, I'm sorry, more updated means? A good example is shifting our presence to social media, doing virtual events, which I know everybody has their favorite thing these days, going on Zoom, or starting to have census materials at food pantries, at health clinics, um, doing caravans. So using with social and physical distancing practices through you know, local public uh, health departments. So we started to do those and, and we started to see uh, some significant progress, which I know here in Illinois, we're currently ranked eighth at about 65%. And nationally, we're about 60% right now too. Uh, so you know we've been doing those type of activities and we will continue to do so even as a, there are some reopening phases nationally. Um, and, and also the good thing is uh, the U.S. Census Bureau and the Department of Commerce has extended the deadline. So typically, originally was July 31st. Now, uh, every household has a chance to respond online, by phone or by mail by October 31st of 2020. And I know when we talked previously as well, the equity reality and the inclusion reality of the census was, was top of mind for you. And, you know, hearing what you described in terms of how folks are strategizing about how to get the, the count completed now, as you mentioned, so much of it has to be digital. How is your group uh, making sure that you're still able to reach folks who might not have consistent internet or who might not be on mobile in the same way that maybe more re- resource communities or resource families would be? 
Sure. I think that's an excellent point, Eric. So one of the ways that we've been doing that is through uh, phone banking. So I know that local faith-based organizations or nonprofits have been phone banking and contacting individuals um, to do a health and wellness check, but also to remind them about the census. Um, there have been literature that's been going to homes in a, in a socially safe and responsible manner. Uh, once we get out of or, or our states, excuse me, are out of shelter in place, uh, we'll continue to do um, the community outreach at a, at a very uh, manner that's going to protect the health and safety. So those have been some types of forms of engagement, but we still know, and from the U.S. Census Bureau, there's 15%, which are called hard-to-count communities. So those people are be renters, uh, people of color, uh, children of five, veterans, the elderly, etc., that these different forms, as I've mentioned before, are going to be very critical so that we reach that 15%, because that's the 15% that need the programs and services each year so they can live healthy, you know, safe, and, and thriving lives. I feel like from time to time still we're seeing headlines in the news about the census not being completed in time. Is there anything in jeopardy with actually how the count impacts the distribution of, of, of resources and, and, and congressional seats and, and money like you talked about. Is that in jeopardy or is that going to actually work out the way it should? So that's an excellent point and question. So traditionally what happens is, so in, our, in, the, in the first timeline from July 31st, the Census Bureau would take all the millions of data and then from there produce what they call the population count uh, to the President of the United States by December 31st, 2020. And then from there, in early of 2021, which would be uh, information we sent to states, so states can do redistricting programs. Because we, what in redistricting or remapping, which some people may be familiar with, that pretty much states that based on how our congressional districts to our uh, state house districts to our, our local city council districts, we're able then to draw or have to remap based on the numbers um, the, 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 the district boundaries. Then, then from there and from a federal level, that then determines how, for instance, in Illinois, we receive about $34 billion a year from the federal government that then is distributed to our counties and to our local governments. So from what I know, uh, the Census Bureau is on target to, in its adjustments with its operation plans, to still be able to do an adjusted timeline. So um, that date, again, that October 31st date, um, the, the the president and the White House will receive that information by the middle of um, 2021 and will then be able to um, have the redistricting programs go as, as they need to. It's going to be tight, um, to be honest, but I think there, there will still be um, accurate, complete count data and information so states can do what they need to for the next, for 2021 and beyond. When we come back on the Zag and return with Jordan, we'll talk a little bit about life in his part of the country as reopening is slowly making its way across America. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Zag. We'll be right back. Jordan, what's been the most surprising thing about how your city has started to open back up? Um, I think it's around just the overall level and ways of how our uh, our communities are engaging and of the perceptions around what are practices that are going to help our community be, be really healthy and safe. For instance, 
here in Illinois, uh, there have been some religious institutions that have filed um, injunctions in the Supreme Court to make uh, religious and churches essential. And that is, in certain ways, you know, we we understand and recognize that, but in other ways, because of uh, disparities and inequities that have been impacting particularly African-American and Latinx communities, um, it may not always be feasible as the intent uh, for individuals. So, you know, things like that and or uh, the, the urban versus the rural and how we're determining how to do rephasing and reopening has been a constant debate. But um, I have to give a lot of credit to our governor, J.B. Prisker, our local officials, so Mayor Lori Lightford in the city of Chicago, President Tony Pretwinkle, Cook County Board President Tony Pretwinkle, and others that are making um, fact-based, scientific, and informed decisions on how to open and to restart our economy for the not only for our economy and for our our our, our region as a whole, but doing it in a responsible and in a uh, responsible manner. Jordan, I also wanted to ask you. There's so much going on in the country. It's it's Thursday right now. Was it May? 28th and uh, what we've seen in Central Park and what we've seen in Minneapolis is just, you know, more disturbing behavior by white folks who are perpetuating racism, um, both as civilians and also as a police force. I was curious if you had thoughts or reflections yet, or if you're still forming how you feel about what we've seen in the last couple of days. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, interesting and timely question, Eric. So for me, I've had some opportunities to think about, you know, what's gone on recently. So in Minneapolis, uh, George Floyd, uh, God rest his soul, who was uh, murdered in broad daylight by a Minneapolis cop and three other cops I watched, or Ahmaud Osbury, who was running um, and was chased down and shot and, and, and killed. Um, you know, speaking as, a, as an African-American man um, and even what happened in Central Park with uh, Christopher Cooper by a, a woman who was profiling because she had issues with his tone around putting her dog on a leash. We, I was talking to my mother about this the other day. It is 2020. It's not 1960, 19, 1970, otherwise, but we're still seeing the attack and the and the positioning on black men that you know I, I would um, I would never have thought or imagined. I know that we still live in a, a, a racist society. We, I know that we're still in generations where we're transferring over. So people that were born in the forties, fifties, and sixties now are starting to have generations of other you know individuals that are. Subscribing to prejudice and anti-black or or other um, bias or marginalist thinking, but to number one have individuals or actors, so so you know people that take justice into their own hands or or by law enforcement that's been designed to in theory to protect and serve is quite problematic and is quite saddening because as I put on my Facebook the other day I can't run. I can't breathe. I can't go outside. You know, what else can I do? And when will it all stop? And so that that's the big thing for me because I know that I had to take a little bit of a, of a mental health day because I'm like, this is a, this is a bit much. 
and 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 to feel like sometimes as my as being one African American male in, in other community that we're we're in this struggle sometimes alone and that we're asking for help. We're asking for people to say this enough is enough. We're asking for our allies to be, you know, front and center and call out when these things are, are not, you know, justice saying we need policies, we need to have legislation and others that are protecting people and that finally we need to switch in our culture. So, you know, I've had some time to think about it. I'm thinking about what's my place uh, because I know there's all different shapes and my shape, excuse me. There's all different roles that we can play, and I and I and I know and I and I lift up those that are organizing, those that are activists. But I know too, uh, for me, uh, there's there's a voice, and I'm trying to find out where my agency is right now. But I really, um, it's just quite. I've been quite sad about it. I've had some more time because of this pandemic, but you know, racism in our in our nation today is a public health pandemic. It's a public health crisis. I need. I think it needs to be called out as such. And I think the resources from the federal down need to be addressing not only racism, but having hate crimes, lynching, and other legislation. Because if we don't start getting that, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And then last thing, you know, I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on, on the NLC fellows this year and, and what an interesting experience it was for them. For Institute, being in person and then switching to virtual, as we're thinking about recruiting fellows for 2021 and the application is is open now what would you want fellows who are or, or potential fellows who are considering the program what would you want them to consider uh as they decide if nlc is going to be right for them i think number one is going to be the question of so what will i as a fellow uh, put in and then what can i then expect to receive back from the institute um, you know, our times, so I was a 2015 fellow, the times and the, the culture and our, and our conditions are shifting. So, so centering equity and inclusion will be uh, critical. And I think fellows that are going to be coming into our new classes uh, should have or um, should demonstrate that type of lens. Because what, what progressivism means and how progressivism is applied through, you know, a, a racial equity, anti-racism, other perspectives is going to be critical, but we, we, we're going to have to have fellows that are going to uh, really, uh, you know, understand that, understand their privilege and dynamics, but also be willing to work through some very messy and some very complex issues that are going to, that are intended to make our society and, and wherever, wherever we live, you know, better and, and for not only for today, but in the future ahead. Well said. And folks can check out the application at newleaderscouncil.org. And also if you're listening and you're an alumni, make sure to nominate someone in your network you feel like would be a great candidate for the fellowship. That's super important as we find the next great set of progressive leaders for 2021. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. Don't forget, you can catch all past episodes in all the places you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So then they just magically show up on your phone. Make sure to do that. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.